Blog Talk Radio. to the show. This is the Tom Stevens Show, and I am your host, Tom Stevens, a psychotherapist here in Houston, Texas, who has been working with children and families for over 18 years now, and I decided to start a talk show that would be focused for you, for all parents uh, and families out there that you know, just want some advice, want some insight on different topics, and want to be able to have a chance to call in and even ask a question of a real live therapist and real live featured guests that are experts in certain areas and topics that we have. And what better way to do it than to put it on the air like this? So I appreciate everybody listening far and wide from the United States to China, I hear, and just all ages. And people, we have got an amazing show tonight, y'all. And this, uh, we try every week to bring you a new show with a new topic that is relevant to the world. Last week we had a, well, actually it was two weeks ago because it was out of town last week. But two weeks ago we had a show on all of the disturbing trends that teenagers are going into or getting into these days. And I'm telling you, there were a lot of them, from car surfing to... um, uh, uh, there was just a lot, you know, condom, snorting. <laughs> there was a lot of different ones. If you have not heard it, you need to go to the website, listen to the archived show from two weeks ago about it because we had quite quite an interesting time listing the, listing the top 20 or so new teenage trends out there that are dangerous and not good for them at all. Sniffing, snorting, drinking, eating, all kinds of things. And leading piggybacking off of that, tonight's show is one I've been waiting for for months because we're going to talk about none other than addiction. And that is such a broad topic, y'all, but it can go wherever you want it to go. So if you have a loved one, a child, a teenager, yourself, who is struggling with any type of addiction tonight, you're not sure it's an addiction, you're wondering about it, you definitely know it is, you don't know where to go, Tonight is the night that you need to listen. I have two amazing guests that actually are from the field of recovery, have been through addiction, and are surviving and doing incredibly well in life uh, on the road to recovery. And they are going to share their experience, strength, and hope and answer any questions you all have for them. And that's what I want to do on this show is be able to get you real people who can give you real answers and I think you're going to be excited about that tonight. 
So let me give you the number, first of all, before I tell you about the shows that are coming up, for you to call in. If you want to ask myself or any of my guests questions tonight covering addiction, because this is the show tonight, I'm telling you there are parents out here that come to my office every day who are concerned about their children, their teenagers, their young adults, and family members themselves even about whether they're struggling with addiction. And I want y'all to be able to ask questions tonight or give your comments about your own experience. That phone number to call is area code 347-838-9737. If you didn't get that, get a pen or get your cell phone and uh, dial it now. Area code 347-838-9737. The cool part of this show, everybody, is you can call and listen from your cell phone, driving in your car, watching your son's practice, uh, grocery shopping in the store, just put the earbud in, and you can call into that number. And if you want to talk to me, you push one. It'll pop up in my queue saying you're ready to talk. If you don't and you just want to listen, don't hit one. And your phone will just listen to the entire show. And most of us who have tons of minutes on our phones, we don't have to worry about that because it's just a call to California, right? Other than that, you can go to blogtalkradio.com. Again, that is blogtalkradio.com slash Tom Stevens LPC. L is in Larry, P is in Paul, C is in Cat. It will pull up all of our past archived shows, and there are some good ones. And I want you all to be able to hear about a lot of cool topics coming up. Speaking of cool topics, I wanted you all to give get a heads up on what's coming up on our show for the coming weeks, and we have got some cool shows. Coming up next week on Monday night, y'all are not going to want to miss this because we have a child psychiatrist, Robbie Wright, who will be on the show, and she is phenomenal. Works with young children all the way up into adults, and she is really good, one of the very few resources I use in child psychiatry because I want to be very careful about kids and teenagers and adults getting medication, and she is one who won't give it unless it's needed, and is extremely well-studied, versed, and experienced to be able to help you figure that out. So a lot of parents have questions about their children and whether medication is a good thing or a bad thing. And you know what? Sometimes it's not a good thing. And sometimes it is the very right thing. So it really depends. And you want an expert and somebody who really knows what they're talking about when it comes to a show like that. After that, the coming weeks, uh, 729 on July 29th, Monday night, we have a great show with Dr. Kate Walker, who is a psychotherapist specializing in infidelity in marriages. So we're actually going to be talking about infidelity in marriages and what signs there are to look for for that and how to recover from that. Speaking of recovery, so that's really a it's going to be a cool topic too. We also have a show coming up on public school versus private school versus homeschool for parents out there. Uh, I'm going to have students from all of those types of schools on the show to talk about what they think is best and why they think it's best. A lot of really good shows coming up. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, always go to my website at tomstevens.us. Mary Lehman's from Go Local Advertising just continues to keep making the website better and better, and she keeps it updated, keeps it current, and keeps you in the know. So go to tomstevens.us. We're going to have Mary on maybe a little bit later uh, if her schedule permits. I know it's late at night on a Monday night, but we will try for that. 
And lastly, you can go to Facebook and search under Tom Stevens, my name, Counseling, Consulting, and Motivational Speaking, and you will find me there. And please like that page. We shifted over to a new page, thanks to Mary Lehman's again, at Go Local Advertising, and uh, it's a really cool thing. And that's where we keep all the updates on this show going as well. Twitter is alive. You can tweet me, at Tom Stevens LPC, again, at Tom Stevens LPC, and I will see it. If you have a question you don't want to call in on the air and ask, you just pop it up there, and boom, we are rocking and rolling. I've already got a post on there for tonight's show. So I think that covers just about everything that I needed to cover with you. And, you know, I just want to get on with this show because I have so many questions for my guests about addiction, about recovery, what addiction means, and uh, all the things that you can look for in people who are struggling with addiction because it is not always something that is readily visible. And my first guest today, her name is Susan, and she is going to be able to give a great look at what it's like to try to live life normally while addicted and then to try to live life clean in recovery. And she has been in recovery over five years now and a big proponent of a 12-step program and of living life clean and sober, and I just can't wait to have her on. Susan, are you there? I'm here, Tom. Good evening. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, just to start out, because there's a lot of people who've sent me emails about this um, and notes wanting to hear about just kind of the what addiction means, but before that, I want you to kind of give your background to people about where you, just as much as you want to, about where you come from in terms of addiction, what you've used, what you've been through. Because you know what, Susan? I was writing this down today, and I wrote, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I just jotted down nine different things that off the top of my head that are kind of peak addictions. And I'm going to shoot these off to you and see what you think. I've got drugs and alcohol, food, gambling, internet, shopping or spending, exercise, Sex, work, smoking, those are the ones uh, to me that are uh, all over the place. But there are a lot more. Uh, I think addiction has tended to be looked at as people who are, I don't know, almost vagrants or people who can't function. But really, we've become a society of functioning addicts in a way. But give the people your background, where you've come from in terms of addiction and where you are now. Okay. Um, well, I started um, drinking and drugging when I was 13 years old, and um, it was all about because I didn't like the way I felt, and I always felt different and mm-hmm. less than. And um, for the most part, I lived my life like that, and it was my own perception that I'm realizing today, but at the time, I didn't. And my first time I um, smoked pot or drank, I knew that I had found my best friend, that it changed the way I felt, and it took me to a different level where I felt like I was a part of. Um, you know, I uh, drank and drugged like that till I was 38 years old. And, um, and, and what I know today is that um, 
that was just a symptom of my problem. You know, you listed all those addictions, and I, when you were saying, I was like, going, yep, got that one. Yep, got that one. Yep, got that one. Yeah, no, I don't have that one, but could have that one. And mm-hmm. the bottom line is because I just want to change the way I feel because I'm not comfortable um, with who I am, you know, and that's how I was when I was drinking and drugging. But the thing for okay. me is if I will – go ahead. Well, you said something about using over a long period of time, Susan. So. Mm-hmm. What transpired, like a lot of people would think, how is that possible? So how were you able to keep normal or what appeared to be normal all that time? Did you have a family? Did you have a job? Did you, like, how did you balance everything? Well, I, I was a stay-at-home mom. I have three, had three kids. I still have three kids. I, um, you know, had a husband and, um, you know, for me, I wore a mask. I lied. I um, I did everything to protect this addiction, you know. And, um, you know, to me, what I was doing was normal, you know. Um, it didn't seem like it, it was any different until I married my husband, who is a normal person. And that's when I realized that I drank and, and did drugs where he didn't. And um, And that's when I knew that there was something wrong with me. That, um, and that's a good point, Susan. So you you kind of mentioned, you know, a lot of times people are, struggle with an addiction and their spouse, their loved one does not. But it's not that people in 12-step programs think, for instance, for you, that drinking is a terrible thing. It's just what it does to you. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's. I mean, if you for me, I couldn't count on um, if I was going to have just one drink or if it was going to be 10, 15 until I passed out. You know, I could never determine what it was going to be. You know, I always set out just to have one, but it never ended up that way. Normal people, like my husband, can have one drink and walk away. I don't even fathom that. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me on why you would just have one drink. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I knew that I was different than he was. I drank differently. Mm-hmm. My emotions were different than him. Everything I thought differently. I think still think differently than he does. You know, mm-hmm. everything um, is, you know, for an emotional thing. You know, it was all internal. And, okay. So, um, were there many points during all this time for you with addiction, when it's drugs and alcohol, where? Your body, because that's different than, let's say, um, a spending addiction or a gambling addiction, uh, things like that, that this is a little bit different in terms of how it might affect your body physically. Like, were you wearing down? Were you getting sick? Were you showing signs of anything or not? Um, You know, I don't – physically, on the outside, everything looked good. Mm-hmm. It was the inside of me that was completely torn up. I was um, completely spiritually, emotionally bankrupt. But from the outside, you would never know that I was a drug addict or an alcoholic. You know, I went right. to church. I did all the right things. I taught Bible studies. I did all of that. I did it high, but I did all that. You know, mm-hmm. and people are still shocked today that they know that I'm in a 12-step program, you know, when, mm-hmm. when they meet me. You know, it's just because I wore this mask and I covered it and I hid it. And because I covered and hid so much, I had such an internal um, conflict, you know, that that's what was hurting. And because of that, I guess my actions showed on the outside where I would get depressed or sad Mm -hmm. or I would sleep. But physically, if you looked at me, you wouldn't know that I was a drug addict. So did people ever confront you or say, hey, is something up? Are you okay? Something doesn't seem right? I mean, did you get much of that? 
Um, not a whole lot of it because I hit it. Now, my husband confronted me a couple of times, but um, I always lied or I always um, said, oh, I'm, I'm going to quit, I quit, I quit. You know, it was all a bunch of lies, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he had his own issues and didn't, you know, confront. And then, obviously, I didn't drink like that when I was around other people, you know, mm-hmm. unless they drank more than I did. Does that make well, sense? And- and a lot of times you, you hit a good point because the clients that I'll see a lot of times with addiction, we'll talk about that. They end up surrounding themselves with people who make it okay, mm-hmm. right, instead of the people who exactly. are actually not going to, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so what finally, and, and by the way, while I'm asking her these questions, if you all have a question for Susan or want to make a comment, once again, area code 347 838 9737 call in hit the number 1 and I will get you right in Susan what finally did it then what was the final uh, I had said you've been in recovery now over 5 years what finally did it um I got sick and tired of being sick and tired I um I got to a point where um I couldn't allow, imagine my life with it and I couldn't imagine my life without it and I knew at at point, my sobriety date is January 2nd, 2008. And I knew at some point during New Year's Eve on 2007 that I was either going to die or I was going to have to seek help. Mm-hmm. And um, because for the first time in 38 years, I wanted to kill myself. And I never wanted to do that before. But I was staring at pills. And I knew nobody would find me because everybody was out of town. And I said, my sincerest prayer, God, move or move me. And um, I got a little God wink, and um, I went into recovery the very next day, went into a 12-step okay. program. And That sounds, I mean, seeing your life today can be amazing. You've got to tell me, though, what it's like, like you said, at New Year's that year, what it really felt like the day after the day after that, the day after that, and what a struggle it was because I think a lot of loved ones kind of look at addicts and will say, well, just stop. I mean, you know, come on, you just don't eat that or don't smoke that or don't use that or don't spend that or don't, and they don't get that, you know, you getting five years down the road is not something that just, oh, hey, I just stopped. You said it was my best friend, so tell Mm -hmm. me the days after so people can get how difficult when they see a loved one struggling that it's not that easy just to stop. It's not that easy. And, uh, you know, that was my whole thing. I could stop every day. I just couldn't stay stopped. (laughs) And, uh, and the whole problem for me was, is I was constantly, you know, when people would confront me or I would put this perception out there that, Oh my God, this is forever. This is forever. I'm never going to be able to do this forever. I have felt everything, you know, forever. But when I got into the 12 step program and they told me it's one day at a time, can you go 24 hours without taking a drink or doing drugs? And I thought, yeah, I can go 24 hours, you know, and then, and it was hard. It was difficult. It was painful. I was losing my best friend. And along with that came, me losing other friends that I thought were my friends but weren't, you know, and uh, it was very painful. And um, But what I will say is, is I wasn't done until I was done. And only an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever you're addicted to can determine that. No matter, no amount of people could have told me, you need to stop. You need to stop. I knew I needed to stop. 
I knew that 10 years before I even stopped. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to do it. And my 12-step program, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, taught me how to do it. You know, and uh, and it was rough those first, shoot, even five and a half years later, you know, there's still days where it's rough. But I don't think yeah. about drinking and drugging. It's an obsession. And, okay, so um, and I don't think when about it. You're, you are well into a program, five years into it. And what do you say, I say this to teenagers, but also to parents of teenagers, because teenagers tend and young adults tend to be bulletproof and feel like, you know, there's always tomorrow or this is just, you know, something I'm doing now and don't realize that where they're headed. Uh, I've I've described as a therapist, I've described a spectrum where there's a path of experimentation, then there's a path of problem, drinking, using uh, of whatever substance it is, and then there's a line, and then that line in the sand crosses over to an addiction. And once you're in the experimentation or the problem area, you can reverse it and go backwards. But once you cross the line and it's an addiction, you cannot. And I think a lot of young people don't get that uh, you still have a shot at reversing this. But if you go very much further, it is it is irreversible and you will forever be dealing with it. But what do you say to young people or parents of young people that kind of just feel like, yeah, Susan, I know, you got it, but I'm different. I mean, I, you know, it, it's not going to do that to me. You know, that's funny that you're mentioning this because I was in a meeting today at noon and um, there was a whole group of, of uh, young kids that came in from a treatment center and one of them, this was his very first meeting, and, you know, and I asked myself that same question. You know, what if I was... 17 years old and someone confronted me about going into an AA meeting, would I have gotten it? I can't, mm -hmm. I can't really answer that question, you know, and, and when I sat there and I watched these young kids, you know, they think they're invincible. I thought I was invincible at 38 years old, you know, and it just has to do again with that. You're not done until you're done. And I don't mm -hmm. know what really honestly to say, to a 17, 18-year-old self. I could say to Susan's 17, 18-year-old self, you shouldn't do that because now I can look back. And when I was 18 years old, I clearly was a drug addict and an alcoholic at 18. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see it at 18, mm -hmm. you know. But if I go back now, I can clearly see that I was. Yeah. You know, does that make any kind of sense? I don't know how to tell um, because I'm not 18 and mm -hmm. sober. All I know is I've watched it. And I've seen it over the last five and a half years, and they're getting younger and younger and younger. And I, it still fathoms me how someone gets sober at 20 or 18 or 17 <laughs> right. and stays sober that long. I don't, it, it, I, they're a miracle to me. And mm -hmm. I look at them like, wow, that's incredible. But again, mm -hmm. it's the treatment centers too. And there are more and more treatment centers. And, um, and for some reason, these kids are starting to see that, wow, you know. This is um, – they're getting it. They're getting the help that they need, and they're sticking around, and some aren't. But it goes back to that, you're not done till you're done. Okay, so give – You're right. And give the people an education out there who, you know, sometimes, say, regular people out there in the world don't – they get this mysterious thought a picture of what an AA, a 12-step meeting room would look like in this dark, dreary, smoky, <laughs> dingy, degenerate-laden room. 
give give them a picture so because I think that also scares young people sometimes is and just addicts period that you know I don't want to go in with a room full of a bunch of people like that but give them a feel for what a meeting is like when you say just go to a meeting because a lot of times that can help people understand really wow there's some people here who really have some good stuff going on but describe them the, the feeling of that room you know, for me, it was that whole fact of always feeling less than and being the zebra. And when I walk mm-hmm. into a room, um, I found my other zebras, you know, that they thought like me, they think like me, because my disease lies in my brain. And mm-hmm. when I would hear them and I would listen for the similarities, not the differences, I would listen for the similarities in their stories, even if they were 80 years old, even if they were 15 years old, I still can learn from them. And because I listen for the um, similarities, we all may be different, but we have one common problem, and that's drugs and alcohol. And that's one of the things when you walk into an AA meeting or whatever other 12-step, because to me, the, you know, they're all to me they're all the same. They're the same 12 steps. You just fill in the blank on what the word, whatever your addiction is. And um, when you walk in, I feel like I'm at home. You know, mm-hmm. and and I get choked up when I think about it because I go to a lot of meetings and mm-hmm. um, and it rejuvenates me. I feel like I'm not a piece of crap. I feel mm-hmm. like I am on a road, a journey, my own journey that God gave me, you know, and these people are helping me. And mm-hmm. um, I see them with God with skin on, you know, mm-hmm. and it's that whole thing of I finally feel a part of, of you know in my whole life i felt different you know yeah. and these people have made me feel um like i can be somebody and that i don't have to drink and drag you know mm-hmm. it's given me a life worth staying sober for and the only way i could get sober and stay sober is through Alcoholics Anonymous. I've tried yeah. every other way. I tried church. I tried how to quit smoking pot for dummies. I tried, I tried it all. Mm-hmm. And it was not until I got around other people who did some of the incomprehensible demoralization things that I did was I able mm-hmm. to relate. And I hope to continue to share that message because that's what it's about. You know, God has taken all of my sickness and turned it into talking to you on a blog radio, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. I wouldn't have ever been able to do that. And it takes me into sitting in a room with other alcoholics, mm-hmm. you know, who are struggling, you know, and yeah. family members, you know, because I go to Al-Anon meetings because I have mixed meetings. I'm not in Al-Anon, but they're mixed meetings, and I get to hear the other side. I get mm-hmm. to hear what it's like to live with someone like me, you know, yeah. and. um Good to point. going into it, yeah, and, and and it's not that grim reaper that I thought it would be when I first tried to get sober. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't that um, doom and gloom, smoky air, you know, old men and, you know, flip-flop. You know, it's just not like that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's been a great place for me. It's been a great place where God sent me for my journey. Yeah really puts a, a new perspective for you on uh, being a mom, being a wife, being a friend, being a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Susan, I want to ask one more question of you before I let okay. you go and get on to the next guest. But it really is about people like thinking back 
when you were using, what could people have noticed or done or said, you know, for the people out there who might have a loved one or a child or a teenager who are struggling, what can they look for or notice that are signs that, you know, something's just not right and maybe they're using? Because a lot of parents come in my office and they're like, well, you know, the people they're hanging with or the the smell I smelled in their car or the fact that they're not eating much or they're hiding in their room or they seem more depressed or they seem more hopped up or they seem – like what would you say for people today to look for that are signs that somebody could be struggling with using addiction of any kind? Well, all those things that you mentioned, I know that for me um, it was the hand sanitizer constantly – uh, the spraying in my car, the spraying on me, it was sleeping, it was irrational behavior, um, it was lashing out, um, it was uh, getting in my car and leaving for a couple of hours and just saying I was going to the store, um, it's um, lying, you know, cheating, stealing, you know, all the things that I never thought I would do, I ended up doing, lying, cheating, and stealing, and um, those are the things that, you know, I would look out for what I would look out for in my own kids. Um, but, again, I, I don't know because no one really I – th- I thought I hit it so good. You know, I thought I hit it so good, but really you're not, you know. And even if someone would have said, you need to go to treatment rehab, I don't know. My story is just completely yeah. different than that. Um, well, but that's the that I would look for. Yeah, I mean, you've got – that makes a lot of sense. You've got a great story, Susan. I mean, from the road to misery to the road to recovery, and you have, you know, survived that and still working day to day, raising the kids and and being a great member of society. And look, coming back on a blog talk radio show to share that experience with, you know, it's amazing. It's kind of that story that I've heard that, you know, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't want anybody to live through what I have, but I wouldn't trade it. With for the world because of where you're Absolutely. at, you know. I'm I'm Beautiful. grateful for every drop of alcohol and every drug I ever took today, and I never thought I would say that. <laughs> well, Susan, thank you so much for sharing this you're on welcome. the show tonight. A lot of people can benefit, and um, you know, just thanks for sharing that experience. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me. All right, you take care. That is Susan, everybody, and I got to tell you, we got to give her a round of applause, don't we, for that? Because she just hit the nail on the head with how destructive using can be and how easily it can be hidden. You know, this is a; these are illnesses and diseases that will just never get enough. You know that um, Kenny Chesney song? I think it is. You know, one is one too many, and one more is never enough. It, it's just kind of that uh, I've got to be able to to continually satiate and feed myself. There was something I read today uh, in an article that said, kind of trying to describe what what addiction would do and, and why it it's so powerful. And it says, you know, addictive behavior is maladaptive or counterproductive to the individual. Instead of helping the person, it's what uh, addicts think. This is going to help me feel better. It actually tends to you know, sabotage and undermine it. And it discusses like a heavy drinker might want to cheer himself up and, you know, and use alcohol to to make themselves feel better. But it actually contributes, alcohol does, to the development of the depression in the person. You know, a sex addict may crave intimacy, but their focus on 
unhealthy and inappropriate sex addiction acts prevents them from being close. A gambler might wish that they had more money, so they do it through gambling and trying to get money, yet gambling is more likely to drain their financial resources and make them more depressed and make life even more miserable. And that's the hard part of gambling because it is not as physical. It does not beat your body and your liver down as much. And I think there's a lot higher suicide rate when it comes to gamblers because it is completely hidden and they will suck every dime out of their world to be able to continue to feed that habit just like the drug, which leads into my next special guest, uh, Michael, who is going to talk with us. He's got a lot of time in recovery and uh, he's going to talk with us about his own experience with addiction. And, and I mentioned gambling because that's part of his, but he is um, got a great story. Mike, you there? I'm here, Tom. Thanks for asking me to come on. Hey, thank you for being on. I don't want to tell too much of your story. I want you to be able to tell the people, but give them your experience with addiction and recovery and what realms you want to and and just kind of where it started and, you know, where it's at today. I I, I love listening to uh what your what Susan had to say. I mean, it it pretty much covers almost everything I've gone through. Um but I am a uh, 12, almost uh, actually 12 years clean from gambling, and I've been in uh, over years on this for about 10 years, a little over 10 wow. years. Um, I have been a food addict since I was five. I have been into gambling since I was probably eight. Uh, how it manifested, I always seek more, 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 and more attention from my dad. Um my uh, the unconditional love. I always wanted more. I always felt like each day I had to prove my worth. And the, the things that we bonded at was eating and gambling. <laughs> so um, I grew up in a, with with a mom and dad and two sisters, and my parents loved me and they provided everything I needed. Not nothing that I wanted, but everything I needed, and they gave me great values. But um, Susan talked about a zebra. I always felt that I didn't belong. I was either too tall or too fat or too poor compared to the uh, the crowd that I ran with. So I wanted to escape. And so when I didn't get things, I had an unhealthy reaction. So usually I'd either, either throw myself into food or being alone. Um, you know, Susan talked about... Uh, trying to maintain a certain image. Um, if I was bullied in school, I'd bully the kids I could bully. And so mm-hmm. um, just never felt comfortable in my own skin. And when did you – yeah, that's what I was wondering with gambling and eating too. When did it click? I asked Susan this. Not necessarily where your life completely changed, but where it's like, okay, this is – might have been two different times for those two, but this is – I'm past the point. I'm, I'm not going to say that to anybody, but I'm clearly past the point now, and, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I tried to uh, commit suicide in 92 over a female, so another addiction probably there somewhere. Um, when I thought about driving off of the bridge in Lake Charles in uh, 99 is when it clicked um, because I just – didn't want to live, didn't want to wake up again. Mm-hmm. That's when it clicked for the uh, for the gambling, you know. And I there was uh, twenty questions at the casino, 
and I answered all 20 correct. So that's when it clicked for me. I didn't want to do that to my family again. And so you said even though there was a prior episode in 92, there's still, you know, are all these different things going on. And this happens a lot with multiple addictions and and not even addictions, but just like people being emotionally distraught. I see it in my office every day where they kind of don't know any other way to cope. And so it ends up going to the easiest route. You said it so clearly in the beginning where this centered around my family. It's not like everything was horrible. It's not like everything was traumatic and abusive. I had, um, you know, we, we had a commonality in gambling and eating. And so that was kind of what we did. And I learned that, hey, this is a much better coping mechanism for me and I can do it on my own. And, and it makes me feel better. I get, is that kind of where it went? Yeah, and, and when I tried to end it, I wasn't active in either one of the addictions at the time. It was more uh, love addiction, um, avoidance. And I just wanted to add this before I forget, because I hear uh, baseball players or athletes or stars saying they don't want to go to a 12-step program because it teaches you to blame your family, and that shouldn't <laughs> be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, my family had, had nothing to do with causing me to be a, an addict. Um, that was just my improper, my sisters aren't addicts, but I was, I am, always will be. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, before I ask this next question, if anybody wants to call Mike and ask, please do area code 347-838-9737 and we will get you on. But here's my biggie for you. If somebody says to you, you know, myself or a loved one of mine, you know, they've they've struggled with addiction and they've they've done the 12-step thing and they've done the therapy thing and you know, it it just doesn't seem to be for them. So what other options do I have? What do you say to that? Well, it, usually when I answer a hotline call, I usually get a call from a parent or a sister or a brother or a loved one. Mm-hmm. And when, for me, um, I heard someone in a room many years ago who said he was a fundraiser. And when my funds ran out, there's no other choice. You know, if you get thrown in jail, you got no choice but to stop drinking at least for those 24 hours. Um, so when it comes to gambling, um, and this is my own experience, I go to I go to open AA meetings, I go to Al-Anon meetings. I always encourage... Um, family members to get to a Al-Anon meeting um, because uh, that's a, a one way to get rid of the source of the, of the money because if I don't have money to gamble, I'm going to have to fundraise. And usually the family members are the people closest to me who I, who I ask for money. So I can I can, I can can talk to that when it's um, the person directly. I don't have much to say other than trying to relate myself to that person. I'm not going to preach to him. I'm not going to tell him he's got to, he or she has to go. I just re- try to relate myself to them and I try to pray first. Um, what, you know, what I should say without coming off is what would I want to hear? Put myself in their shoes. And it's, when it comes to food, you know, look how many people are very obese in this country and mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear, hey, you need to stop eating. We know it's healthy. I know it's healthy. Um, the only thing I do is I relate myself to them without coming across as offensive. 
Mm-hmm. But um, and family members and people that love them so much to say, you know, put you know, put the fort down and step away from the Twinkie. That's not that easy. Um, so I personally relate myself to them. Um, and one of the food, things I've read. You know, well, go ahead. No, no, just food is food. Is, you know, gambling has been um, God has lifted that desire for me a long time ago. The really the, the issue was, do I want a better life? And I didn't come into a GA room. To have a better life, I came in to control my gambling. But um, that's the the part that's the hardest to maintain. And as the church Susan will attest, it's about staying on the path and that spiritual spiritual walk. Um, maintaining it is as hard as anything. The, the desire goes away to use, but the desire to act out in other ways is is very prominent. Uh, and so I have to try to stay on the path, and that's my. That's my, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, struggle for each day is to stay on the path. Well, and I want to ask you a question about the food piece because I think that that gets kind of slipped under the rug a lot of times and people don't want to address it. I think a lot of people, honestly, Mike, don't understand that uh, there are really good 12-step programs for all these. But in your um, what you've written to me in your pre-interview, I heard you say something that was, I thought, profound, and that was, talking about therapy or talking about 12-step programs, that it never worked if I did it dishonestly, that it always worked when I was honest. And um, I I wish you'd talk a bit about that because that, to me, when I hear clients come in my office all the time saying, "Ah, I did 12-step or I've done therapy before, it just doesn't even work, Uh, most of the time people aren't giving it an honest effort. (laughs) So can you say anything about that? Uh, I think I, as far as the food goes, um, you know, I, I was stealing from Eckerd Drugs when I was a kid. I'd always steal food, hide food. Um, my, I've got a lot of friends and, who are either under-eaters or over-eaters, and I would lie about my food as much as I'd lie about my gambling just because I'm a compulsive liar, as, as your previous guest talked about. Um, so, so to answer your question... Um, you know, I, I'm in a program where I need, I have to write down what I eat each day, and then send it into her, and um, that's that's a lot more difficult than it sounds. You know, I, I lie to myself. I mean, I used to lie to myself. I, I've I've told people the of stories that I believe that I used to do, but um, the the neatest thing about recovery in both 12-step programs is I become an honest person. And that's through working the, the steps, and it's about having a relationship with something greater than myself. And as Susan said, the service work, helping other people. Um, and so for me, I can't just stop gambling and stop eating and go out and screw people over in the workplace. I have to. I there's something about this whole process, this spiritual awakening, that makes me want to be an honest person makes me want to tell the truth because the truth doesn't hurt me as much as all the lies. The lies led me to the addiction, the suicide mm-hmm. attempts, the hating myself. I don't know if that answers your question. I'm trying to okay, be so, you know, less wordy. No, it does. But here's the reality of today's world, at least what I can see, <clears throat> that's changed and doing my field over the last 18 years. Young people are getting exposed to addiction way more with technology, with food, like you said, and the way that we eat in this world, with gambling, uh, and it becoming so much more normal and a part of life, 
with drinking and drugging and it being more accessible and there being tons more uh, ways for kids to to try and to experiment. I mean, did this show two weeks ago on these crazy trends going on with teenagers and, you know, one of them's uh, eyeball vodka shots where they're putting shots of vodka in their eyeballs so it doesn't have the smell in their mouth, but it gives them the high because it soaks into their veins, but yet it can cause blindness in a heartbeat. Um, They are shooting it up all parts of their body. It's really something how kids are learning. But for you to talk to the young people out there, Mike, or the parents of young people, uh, because it's not just about, You've got an overweight child, so they are an addict. It's more about how they use the food or how they use uh, the fun. There can be kids who, who um, you know, go to an arcade and play a video game, and then there are kids who go to an arcade and can't leave the video game. And so that's just the same thing. But what do you tell the parents or the young people uh, about what's what's the line that crosses and when is it a problem? I don't know if I can answer. That's a great question, Tom, and it, that comes up a lot um, because everybody has an opinion, <laughs> as, you, as we all know. Um, you know, I thought my parents did a fabulous job with all that, but with the technology, and I can't, I don't want to say who this person is, but someone I'm, someone I'm very close to, and uh, their kid is involved in, in this gambling and all the fantasy mm-hmm. sports and all that, and the intensity, and I see, I see an, an addict. Uh, in the wings, and because of how close I am to this person, um, they I've already mentioned a couple times, and they won't even entertain it, and they got the child mm-hmm. in therapy. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, balance, obviously. You know, I'm getting engaged to a, woman, a wonderful woman, and her daughter has this great balance. You know, there's time for the, the games. There's time for interaction with adults. There's time for interaction with with her friends and there's time for reading and there's time for TV and there's time for play. You know, when I see um, people wrapped up in one thing and obsessed about it, it's like, you know, watching a, a dog, that's, my dogs who get obsessed on a, a bone, you know, when they, when you see that in their eyes, it scares the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do? I mean, as a parent, you obviously have more control than once they're 18 and 20. Mm-hmm. So the, that balance of, you know, the church and the play and, and um, philanthropy, you know, having kids involved in, in doing volunteer work for other people. You know, I know a lot of different churches have all that for their kids and youth programs about service. So I don't know what so, to say, but that's that's what I got. How would we notice it then, especially the eating thing in today's world? Because there's a oh difference between kids who just like sweets and kids who... That's easy, Tom. That's, e- that's, e- that's easy. Um I get to see that I, I've been a Sunday school teacher, youth advisor, a baseball coach, girls' fast pitch coach, you know, family mm-hmm. members. I see kids eating, and their eyes light up, and they just devour it. And then there's people who can, who are earthlings, I call them, and they can have a, a, a piece of cake, and they're, they're good. But when you see that, and then they're throwing up afterwards, and they're stuffing themselves like it's not, that piece of cake will never be around tomorrow, uh, yeah, when they're obsessed about it, when they can't mm-hmm. wait to eat, and they don't they don't talk to anybody when they eat. There's no eye contact. It's focused on the food. It's scary, you know. When they eyes light up at a at a food and on, on the food aisle versus, hey, look at the puppy dog, or you know, isn't mm-hmm. that a pretty sign? You know, when that's 
it's, it's easier to spot for me, um, and I think it's, it's pretty easy. I think a lot of people don't want to they don't want to notice it because they don't want it to be their own kid. But I think parents are aware. So what do parents need to do then? Because I think a lot of parents are I think a lot of parents, especially with food, are much more aware of it, but completely in the dark with knowing what to do about it and probably have issues themselves. You know, it trickles down. And so is it best for parents to call a 12-step program, to go to a 12-step meeting, to call some, I mean, what, what should they do if they say, you know what, I don't know what to do, but my child is is clearly past the point and a pediatrician's going to tell them, well, let's just get on an eating plan. And, you know, how, how should they, like, what do they do when they're watching this spiral? Do you just not buy the stuff for them, not put it in the house? Like, what are the first steps they might that, be able to that's do? A, that's, a, that's a really great one. Um you know, and I'm not a nutritionist, obviously. Um, I'm a chemical salesperson. So, <laughs> but um, you know, it's a great question. I, and I, the only thing I can tell you is my experience. And I, I, I have friends in, in my program who don't allow their kids to have sugar, and then when they go to a birthday party, Katie bar the door. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that balance, like you know, and I'm not saying a reward. Um, Look, parents have their their own gadgets, and they're focusing on that. Here, give give the kids food. But if you notice that, and you really want to help your child, I would really have not not keep the child away from the sugar, but find some creative ways to make a, a good, healthy dinner that everybody likes. I mean, I use I do things. I don't I haven't had sugar in or alcohol or white flour in six years, but I'm creative in and how I cook and make things taste good. Um, that don't have all those things. It's just taking the time to do that, preparing the food and not going through the drive-throughs and just. I think they. You know what? I really. To me, it's it's about the love. I think you know when I felt totally loved, I didn't. And and the attention. And that's mm-hmm. what kids want is attention. I don't know. I'm not a. And you know, do you, I don't do what you do, so I don't know. The the way you described what you just did about the eating and the the lifestyle. I almost feel like in my office because I, I most of them I tell the story everywhere I go to speak that most of the people in my office don't take my advice. I, I hate to say that, <laughs> but I would say the majority don't. I mean, and it's not a bad thing. They're just they they so hard to change habits in life. To, but I feel like when you just said that about the food and the lifestyle that some parents might feel like that's such a daunting challenge. And Mike, oh man. That means we have to completely revamp everything. And I've always told clients in my office, whatever it takes for as long as it takes needs to be the credo if you want to have a better life. But is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, you know, Susan said it perfectly. I I never say I'm never going to gamble again. Tomorrow I'm going to go to Marble Slab. Just today I'm not. I never swear anything off. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've done that for 12 years. And um, so I don't have the obsession, you know, of my higher power removed. And I didn't have a higher power when I came in, but removed its obsession. So um, if I don't, if I, you know, if I stay spiritually fit, I don't have to be cocky about it. I mean, I feel like as long as I, why would I want to screw all this stuff up? So what I do each day, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I always say this, I never woke up the next day wishing I had eaten something that I shouldn't have eaten. 
So mm-hmm. I don't have to uh, have a. I just don't obsess about it. Tomorrow I can do something. If today I'm gonna I'm gonna eat healthy for for what God wants me to put in my body, and that's yeah. Tomorrow I can go back and hit hit McDonald's. A completely different mindset, Mike, for people in our world today that are constantly on impulse and constantly on you know what can I get for myself now and. When I watch people, the easiest example I give is a cell phone. And when I watch anybody in an elevator, in a waiting room, at a store, in a checkout line, everybody pulls out their phone, everybody checks something, everybody is scrolling constantly. So for you to say that, it's like a foreign language in today's world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so any final advice you're going to give? You know, it's great having two perspectives, one of gamblers and one of overeaters or undereaters, either one, just the eating component. What, because all of these, even with Susan, they all run the same course. And like you said, it's all what that object becomes to you. And if your eyes light up with it, whether it's a cigarette, yeah. a piece of food, a poker chip, or a drink, uh, or something on the internet, or some credit card, whatever it does to light you up. What advice do you give to people who are struggling out there today? And you know what? They just can't muster up the strength to go get help. First step is acceptance. And I heard this about 12 years ago in New Orleans, and I'm a pickle. And once, you know, when your cucumbers start off with once you become a pickle, you can never be a cucumber again. And mm-hmm. I crossed that invisible line into uncontrollable eating and gambling. And if I'm the only thing is to be honest with myself. If I if I'm in that much pain when I was obviously I don't want to ever do what I did to my family in '92, but I was willing to go to any length. So um, if someone's struggling with addiction, just today I'm going to ask for help. Um, and like Susan said, when I go to meetings, I mean I met doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs and ball players and teachers and the smartest people I meet are in these rooms. And it mm-hmm. seemed like a cult at first as they talked about mm-hmm. God, and I really could care less about hearing about all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just had to today. I didn't want to ever feel the way I felt again, and I never have to. And if you don't ever want to have to feel as bad as you did, try it out, and um, you never have to feel that way again. It doesn't mean life isn't going to be tough, but the people aren't um, – any different or weirder than the people you see on the street. Um, and it's weird that they, they say they love you and all that kind of stuff. It sounds kind of culty and weird, but um, the only way they get better is if you stick around. And it's just like that pay it forward movie. And mm-hmm. it feels pretty darn good. And That's also, you know, a couple minutes left, but the loved one, I mean, the the family members, the friends, the people might go around, oh, yeah. anybody struggling with addiction. I mean, I think a lot of times they feel handcuffed and don't realize they're enabling it or turning their, you know, sh- turning their back to it or trying to help out and just give a little extra uh, money to help out or a little extra something. That I, I almost think that sometimes they don't know what to do. What is the best thing you think they can do to help somebody in their family or in their life that is struggling with it? Just like you said with your friend. I mean, it, there's only so much you can do, but there is something they can do. And, and a lot of professionals will say, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So the problem. what do you say What do you say to that? Just like I said before, the only thing, like, you know, my parents thought they were at fault. 
and the reason why they didn't want to ever go to an out, a Gammonon meeting or they didn't want to ever go to a birthday meeting was they didn't want to feel like they did something wrong, and and they didn't. And um, the best thing that they can do is go to an Al-Anon or Gammonon meeting or a Narconon meeting, and um, and they'll be with people just like them who are smarter or embarrassed because they think they did something wrong or their parenting was off or they may have done something or allowed. I mean, God, I hate to bring this up, but, you know, a lot I, I, there was something about them um, and this is very. This is a, in a study, and people I've known in who are uh, anorexic bulimic. But most of the people who are in that program have been molested, and so uh, not all children who've been molested are in that or have that uh, disease. But it's, it's about 99% of the women that that have been molested that are a uh, anorexic bulimic have been molested. So mm-hmm. a lot of parents feel like. I did something wrong, and I don't want to have to go and admit that um, they don't want to have to go there. They think they're going to be on trial, and they're not. Yeah. And so they did, they think they did something wrong. The best thing they could do is go to an ally on me and realize they didn't. It's not about them. It's about, yep. yeah, I, I don't. Excellent. That's, the whole thing. That's true. Mike, you've been awesome. I appreciate your experience, strength, hope. Congratulations on both programs and and just given what you've got, you know, to the world because there's a lot of people out there listening that I know can benefit from that. So thank you for for being a part of that. Thanks, Tom. All right, keep it up. That is Mike, everybody. Great guest and great information. I mean, we could go on and on, and I think we're going to have to do a part two of this addiction thing because I really feel like it could help bringing people on who have been through it so that, especially younger people, so that we can educate the world on how quickly somebody can go from experimenting with something to a problem with it to a full-blown addiction of it. And the, the great news, though, is even though it is an addiction at some point, there is recovery from that and there is life beyond that addiction and it isn't just downhill the rest of their life. So uh, thank you to Susan for sharing all that, to Mike for sharing great information and insight on the world of addiction and we are just about out of time i appreciate everybody being on the air if you want to go listen to these shows this one today in particular go to blogtalkradio.com slash tom stevens lpc and you will have the whole list of shows share it with your friends put it on facebook but go visit me at my website tomstevens.us we will be back on the air thursday morning at 9 30 for another topic uh, of Ask the Therapist, and it'll be an open forum for you. And then back next Monday with Dr. Robbie Wright, psychiatrist here in Houston, Texas, child psychiatrist. So thanks to everybody listening out there, and I will see you Thursday. But go to Facebook under Tom Stevens Counseling, Motivational, Counseling, Consulting, and Motivational Speaking. It's been a great night. Y'all be good, and we will see you on Thursday.